The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. In January 1993, the United States and 130 other countries had signed the Chemical Weapons Convention banning the use of CS gas in warfare. Apparently, there is no prohibition on its use against American citizens. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Getting Loser, we're starting a podcast, it's your boy Cheetah. It's your boy Chop. Yo, what's up? Yeah, buddy, back yeah. with another one. Hell yeah. Got, got a real good one this week, I know uh, last week we kind of set up uh, Action Park, but I changed my mind at the last second because... What? We are doing Action Park? That's what I like to do. But it's mostly because I, uh, I've... Realized that we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the Waco siege. Yo, that already happened. That already happened. The 30 year. The th- no, it didn't. Yeah, it did. We Maybe were- if when it started, not when it ended. It ended in April. Wow. It was went on for 51 days. Uh, what? So, yeah, when I found out we were coming up on the 30th of that, I wanted to... Uh, yeah, it's pretty convenient. Yeah, I figured, why not do that instead? You know, that's, some, that's a pretty big topic that we've only kind of skimmed over a couple of times. On this pod, so I figured, why not yeah. just finally yeah. give it an episode before before going farther? Uh, cheat over there at first when it was his idea coming up. He wanted to do John Candy. Okay, I'm down with John Candy. <laughs> Shut up, do I change my mind a lot? All right, fuck. <laughs> it's hard to pick, dude. Do, dude, it is. It's like I don't want to like, talk about something I already talk about. But yeah, that's uh. That's what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to dive into uh, the Waco siege, you know. Try to give you, you know, the best retelling of what happened. Uh, you know, the, the giant government mishandlement of Waco. Yo, the government fucked so hard on that one. Yeah, that was uh, that was a big uh, that was a big no no on the government's uh, track list. I think. Yeah, pretty much as such. But uh, before we jump into any of that, just real quick, I want to ask you guys, how you guys doing? Uh, how, was, how was your week? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I'm doing very good. Uh-huh. Pretty good. That's good. Oh, so pretty, anything here. exciting going on? No, I'm fucking starving, dude. I'm sorry. I'm sidetracked. I keep thinking about food. Mm, food over here. Looks like we're switching places this week, man. Usually yeah, I'm the one who's starving right? already. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just... Uh, Give you guys a little update on the world as it is right now. Uh, unfortunately, just had another mass shooting. So, yeah, you know, it's fucking terrible, dude. Did, uh, did this you, time in a school, another school again in what? Nashville. Yeah, plot twist. Uh, what's the plot twist? It was a female shooter. Oh, shit, was it? I didn't know that. Well, actually, it's a trans. She was trans. Oh, okay. I've seen the video. She identifies as female, I guess. Did you see the body cam footage of the cop? Oh, yeah. That's pretty sick, man. That's 
the way they handled that around. is how they should have handled it at Yulevad. Yeah, that cop wasn't fucking around at all. Oh, yeah. Those guys were fucking mission-focused, man. Uh-huh. As you should be, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, obviously, you know, it's really sad. You know, it's always unfortunate when shit like that happens, especially when there's kids involved. But I think one of the worst things that comes out of moments like this is then you get those people from both sides that just use this as a way to fight with each other even more about yeah, shit, you know right. what I mean? Everybody thinks they have the answer of how we could fix this, you know what I mean? But most of the time... Neither side is right. You know what I mean? There's not, you know what I mean? There's not really, unfortunately, there's not much you're going to be able to do. I mean, you could pass all these gun laws and shit, but that's not necessarily going to stop the problem. Dude, if, if people you, want a gun, they're going to find a gun. Dude, you know if you, I mean? If you really want a gun, you, if you want one fast, you, all you got to do is make make a couple phone calls and boom, got one. You can 3D print guns now. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? Obviously, I'm not saying that it's right, but... Yeah, you know, that's just... You hate to see it, man. It's just don't mind trap over is, here. I'm watching a little baseball. What has happened to people? Yeah, I don't know. It's... A lot of people don't like... Well, I mean... Most people that I've talked to don't like... When I put my two cents into this, this topic. Because I like to say that, you know... From my point of view, I think it's... I think the biggest issue we have here in this country is a mental health issue. And I think a mental health issue needs to be worked on a lot more than it is. Because that's what, you know, I mean, that's what you find with a lot of these shooters. Once you fucking find out, like, who they are, you find out that, you know, they're f- pretty fucked in the head. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's not nearly enough work being done on mental health in this country. You know, they do a lot of, you know, we'll give you these pills and now go away. You're good. You're cured. You know what I mean? Which isn't really. But obviously, I'm not saying that's. You know that's the that's the fix for everything, but I'm just saying that's from my point of view. That's you know that's my stance on it, I guess. But either way, regardless of where you stand on it, it's sad. You know, I mean, especially when there's kids involved, because no kid deserves to be scared about going to school every day. You know what I mean? I mean, I fucking hated going to school, but so oh wait, it was it was a transgender. A transgender male to female? Yeah, I guess she identified as female. And apparently she'd went to that school years before. As she a Christian went, school. She went there years ago, I guess. Wait, she she, she identified... Lighting up kids? I guess so. They said she had a manifest... They found a manifesto. She had it all planned out, I guess. What the fuck, man? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, a, like little kids. I don't understand. Like, right. one of the little kids yeah, to yeah. me. Especially if you went to that school too, yeah. It's like you were you were one of those kids. I don't get that. Yeah, I don't know. And I, uh, she I, dead. She dead. Yeah, yeah they shot she's her. Dead yeah. as fuck. Dude. Oh yeah, they shot her dead, dude. Yeah, that's one of the. Uh, I wish I knew the little girl's name. I don't, but one of the little girls that died uh, in the shooting. Shout out to her, man. She died a fucking boss because she. Uh, when she first started hearing the shooting, I guess she ran and pulled the fire alarm to try and distract the shooter so a bunch of the other students could get away and shit. So, you know, shout out to that girl, man. Smooth. Badass right there. They need to give her a statue in the city, dude. Badass. But, yeah, that's, uh... Yeah, like a, like a Banksy-style statue with, like, her pulling the alarm. Hell, yeah. Yo, alarm. I just seen something the other day about Banksy, and I'm about to tell you, and I forget what it was. Somebody had like a somebody did something. Somebody like, I don't know. It was like somebody had some 
Banksy do something for him or something, like a painting for him or something. I can't remember what it was. I don't know. That's a, that'd be a good episode too, Banksy. Yeah, well, that'd be a fucking wild episode. <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, you know, obviously I didn't want to talk this week without mentioning, you know, the mass shooting, unfortunately. Even though we probably shouldn't be giving it as much attention, but yeah, for for right now, just give let's get, let's get a moment of silence for those people that lost their lives for that mass shooting thing. All right, that was uh huh. All right, well, I mean that's about it. There's nothing too, you know, nothing too noteworthy to talk about going on right now. Hey, uh. I, you guys might be a little proud of me today. I watched that series, that document series on Netflix. I actually watched it. Yeah, look at Chop, man! I actually did the research for once. I'm very surprised. I was, going, I was you know, my my method was going to be wing it for you guys, but I said, nah, I got I got to step up the game a little bit. Uh huh. Well, good for you. I guess I'm switching places with you this week too because I also. I did not watch the Netflix series. I forgot. I fell asleep. Yo, I slept almost all day today. Yo, Troop. Sometimes you need that shit, dude. Troop, he says, hey, watch the series on Netflix. Well, to be fair, I've, 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 you know, I mean, I've gone down the Waco rabbit hole like 500 times, so. All right. I didn't really need to know. Is this rabbit hole worse than Jim Jones' rabbit hole? No, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> this one's pretty cut and dry, pretty much. <laughs> you were traumatized from Jim Jones, dude. <laughs> Yo, I you? still get nightmares sometimes. Yo, he, yo, he, he, he told us one time. He told me and Mike like, "Ah, oh, we don't want to talk about the episode." Well, we did the episode. Yeah, because they wouldn't stop fucking bothering me about it. Then they wanted me to put together a whole episode over off the fly, and guess what? I did because I'm that good. <laughs> That's how much Boom. I know about it. But uh, yeah. Unless you guys got anything else you want to say real quick, we're gonna hop in the Waco. Yo. Uh, we can introduce what you, the. What you talk about these nuts? Don't ever say that. Like Get the fuck again. off the air Don't right ever now. Ask me that ever again, dude. No, no. What you talk about the bag? Is that better now? What do I think of the brand name these nuts? Nuts, bro. Is that what you're asking me? No. What you doing about the? Are they okay, man? A little kick. They're kicking right now. <laughs> yeah, you're all flushed, dude. You're getting the meat sweats over here. You got the meat sweats. Don't, I got the, don't I got touch the, I, your eyes. Bro. I got the nut sweats. Wait. You don't you just make <laughs> shit weird, <laughs> man. Yo, we should put that on a shirt. You just make shit weird. Uh alright, well let's hop in a little uh early life of Mr. Uh, David Koresh, our uh, our Lord and Savior in the Waco days. Our second coming. Basically they uh David Crush and his followers believed that he was basically a prophet from God, you know, and that's pretty much that's who they took all their or they took all their, you know, wisdom from is that, you know, because David Crush convinced these people, hey, God speaks through me to you. This is what God wants us to do. Yep. Hence why they built, you know, they why they went. Uh, fun fact, actually, where the compound was was actually not known as Waco. It was actually known as Mount Carmel. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. the reason they went with the name Waco is because the FBI agent said it sounded better, Wacko and Waco, instead uh, of Wacko and Mark Carmel. Nice, so, nice. little auditory fuckery going on. Yeah, so uh, David Crush 
born Vernon Wayne Howell on August 17, 1959, in Houston, Texas, to a 14-year-old single mother, Bonnie Sue Clark. Dude, I saw a picture. I saw a picture of her. Vernon. She wasn't that. She was. She was decent. She looked decent back then. The four, she was fourteen the in the 14 picture. Year you probably old seen, was, dude. Uh, the fourteen-year-old was was pretty smoking hot to you. Huh? No, wasn't. <laughs> damn, fucking idiot. And uh, a twenty-year-old father, Bobby Wayne Howell. Uh, before, Bobby Wayne. Before Koresh was born. His father met another teenage girl and abandoned Bonnie Sue, who began cohabitating with a violent alcoholic. In 1963, Koresh's mother left with her boyfriend and placed her four-year-old son in the care of his maternal grandmother, Erlaine, Erlaine Clark. Erlaine Clark. Erlaine Clark. His mother returned when he was seven after her marriage to a carpenter named Roy Hadelman. Bonnie, Sue, and Hadleman had a son together named Roger, who was born in 1966. Koresh did not meet his father until he was 17 years old. Uh, Koresh was described in his early childhood as lonely due to his poor study skills and dyslexia partially caused by poor eyesight. He was put in special education classes and nicknamed Vernie. By his fellow students, Koresh dropped out of Garland High School in his junior year. Well, shit. Being called Vernie for long enough. I mean, that's that's going to push you over the edge, of course. (laughs) That would push me over the fucking edge, too. Big Vernie. Hold on, I got to lower the brightness on my screen. My eyes are all fucked up. (laughs) Koreshnikov. When Koresh was 19 years old, uh, I, I guess I would believe this would be his first inappropriate relationship. Uh, uh, he had an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl who became pregnant. Uh, nope. By then, he had claimed to have become a born-again Christian in the Southern Baptist Church and soon joined his mother's de- denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Those guys are fucked. That, that church right there is so fucked. Speaking of fucked church, dude, is... Uh, Fuck's that one church? Oh, the one in the the Utah? One, the one pastor. Where everybody's like, oh, when he dies, Mormon. we're all going to stand in his grave and piss on it. Mormons? I don't know. No, it's that one guy. I can't remember what the guy's name is. I don't know. I'll think, I'll think of it later. Uh, there, Koresh became infatuated with the pastor's daughter, and while praying for guidance, he opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open at Isaiah thirty four sixteen, stating that none should want for her mate. Hmm. Convinced this was a sign from God, Koresh approached the pastor and told him that God wanted him to have his daughter for a wife. The pastor mm-hmm. threw him out, and when he continued to per- persist with his pursuit of the daughter, he was expelled from the congregation. Yeah, so, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. Before we go any farther, <laughs> he goes up to the priest. Hey, uh, dude, uh, I'm digging your daughter. She should come to dissatisfaction uh, over here. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much, dude. Pretty, like, pretty ballsy move there. Uh, yo, I got most yo, I had to, I, I had to give him credit for that. I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't no, think that's gonna have complete success rate all the time. You know. No, but I could give. Hey, him man, credit. I think your daughter's pretty smoking hot. Uh, I'm just gonna go like, take her back to the crib. <laughs> I'm gonna like, take her back to the don't crib. Don't worry though, man. God told me it was okay. Oh yeah, I, God. I woke up and my uh, Bible swept to fucking. <laughs> 
I woke up and yeah. there was a big arrow in my Bible pointing so, right to your daughter. So like later on at the fucking at on the compound too, he like tricks everybody, his believer, his followers into even letting their wives sleep with him. Oh yeah, dude. He he was he was this is like one of the only ways that him and Jim Jones kind of relate. Is where like David Crush would always would also tell his believers like you guys aren't allowed to have sex, but, but I am because God wants me to. Yeah, He's like, I'm going to sleep with all no, your wives, but yeah. none of you are allowed to sleep with them. But, none of you clapping cheeks no more, except for me. I'm yo, clapping all the cheeks. Yo, from da- here on yo, out. yo, like David never had no uh, sexual relations with many men. Well, yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. Fuck, I would oh, hope yeah. not, dude. I know Jim Jones. Jim he, Jones did though. Yeah, but, oh, did he? Oh, yeah. no, but he Fuck. says I'm not the gay he one. He would tell them that I'm not gay. You are. <laughs> that you're sleeping with me to get rid of the gay out of you, basically. Because <laughs> I'm God's prophet. <laughs> Yo, that's fucked up. To, that's one fucked up way to spin it. Pretty much. Yo, uh, before before we go more into the, his cult, whose cult will you join? For like right now, I'm gonna ask you that same question at the end of the episode. I mean, probably fucking we- Branch Davidians. What the fuck? Jim Jones was yeah, fucking insane. At least the compounds in the states. And yeah, right. Somewhat normal, kind of. And as far as I remember, Yo, uh, so they're just stockpiling um, guns too. Oh, this isn't even, dude. They haven't yeah. even. Well, that's just, at this yeah, point, yeah, dude. Yeah, at this sorry, point, right sorry, now, sorry, sorry. yeah, Koresh hasn't even gotten to Waco yet. He's about to move to Waco. That's when all the shit starts to happen. Uh, in 1981, Koresh moved to Waco, Texas, where he joined the Branch Davidians, a splinter group of Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church. Benjamin Roden, who died in 1978, had originated the Branch group in 1955 with the teachings that were not connected to the original Davidians. Koresh played guitar and sang in church services at the Mount Carmel Center, the sect headquarters outside of Waco. Uh, and then 1983, after being in the Branch Davidians for two years, Koresh began claiming the gift of prophecy. David Thibodeau, who is one of the survivors of the Waco siege, wrote a book in 1999 titled A Place Called Waco. Uh, he had speculated that Koresh had a sexual relationship with Lois Roden, the widow of Benjamin Roden, and the leader of the sect, who was then in her late 60s. Koresh eventually began to claim that God had chosen him to father a child by Lois, who would be the chosen one. In 1983, Lois allowed Koresh to begin teaching his own message called the Serpent's Root, which caused controversy in the group. Lois's son, George Roden, intended to be the group's next leader and considered Koresh an interloper. I remember, I actually remember watching this in the document. You call that a document? That three-part document series? Yeah. Um, all right. I was making sure because you're the document. Cheetah's over there is a doc- document expert guy. This is my first document I ever actually watched through. Yeah, I was watching it. You know, it's like. They're talking about like yeah, this girl, this lady was like fifty years older than him. He was he was probably clapping cheeks at. Yeah, dude, he's clapping the dust out, yeah, of him, bro. He, he was an equal opportunist, bro. Yeah. if he could get something, he's clapping. Yeah, you know? he knew by clapping her cheeks that you know if they tried to kick him out the cold, she wouldn't let him because she'd be like, no, this is my and man. He's thinking ahead, dude. Yeah. Like he's like, I'm gonna get this bitch pregnant, so that our kid is the second coming. So no, yeah. I'll, I'm the man. Basically, yeah. 
He's a smart man. If David Crush is of anything, he's a smart man. That's for sure. He definitely he's, had a plan for what he was oh, doing. He knew. Oh, yeah, because you see, he dropped out of high school, but web school wasn't good for him. All right, calm down. I don't know about all that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when Koresh had announced that God had instructed him to marry Rachel Jones, who then added Koresh to her name, a oh, period... I, I thought you were going to say then added him on Facebook. No, that was <laughs> funny. Facebook before it was Facebook. <laughs> a period of calm ensued at the Mount Carmel Center, but it proved only temporary. <laughs> A fire destroyed 500,000 administration building and press. Roden and Koresh started the fire. <laughs> but Koresh... Hold on. Uh, but Koresh replied that no man set that fire and that it was a judgment of God. Roden, claiming to have, su- have the support of the majority of the sect, forced Koresh and his group off the property at gunpoint. Koresh and around 25 followers set up camp at Palestine, Texas, 90 miles from Waco, where they lived under rough conditions in buses and tents for the next two years. So, yeah, imagine imagine your church splits up by, like, two sides, just like one side gets ran out with guns by the other. Yeah. Now you got to start another splinter of the same church. And now not only... That's some heavy-duty churching, dude. Yeah, and you just like, you just spent all this time clapping sixty-year-old cheeks to get kicked out. You ran out of town. Kicked out the church by her son, man, with four pitchforks in the middle of the night. (laughs) Pretty much, they had like fucking torches and shit. Just just imagine, all right, I'm clapping, I'm clapping your mom's cheeks, not your mom like that. Yeah, don't ever say, whoa, whoa, don't look at me in the face and say some shit like that, man. No, I'm saying for this guy, like, oh, I'm clapping your mom's cheeks. Why the fuck are you kicking me on my own fucking church? I'm fu- your next player. I'm gonna kill you. He probably killed that motherfucker too. All right, let's slow down over there. <laughs> Easy, man. Way to really paint paint a picture with that one. Uh, during this time, Koresh undertook recruitment of new followers in California, the United Kingdom, Israel, and Australia. He said, "Taking them all. We're taking them all." Oh yeah. He said, "Open them doors, baby, and open them cheeks when you get here." <laughs> yeah, United. Because Koresh getting up in there, man. United Clappington. And then uh, that same year, he traveled to Israel where he claimed he had a vision that he was the modern-day Cyrus. So he started clapping more cheeks. Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, Cyrus was commonly known as Cyrus the Great. He was the founder of the Achaemenid Empire, the first Persian Empire. Under his rule, the empire embraced... All of the previous civilized states of the ancient Near East expanded vastly and eventually conquered most of something. Oh, so we thought he was Cyrus, bro. Okay, I didn't know that. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he went from just thinking he was a prophet to thinking he was, like, one of the prophets, basically. I wonder what made him pick that one. I don't know. He's probably just nuts. He probably just picked one. Probably just, like, flipped a coin. Uh, the founder of the Davidian movement, Victor Houtuf, wanted to be God's implement and establish the Davidic kingdom in Palestine. Koresh also wanted to be God's tool and set up the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem. At least... Why would you fucking send me a meme while I'm in the middle of this right now? 
It's like being around a child. At least until 1990, he believed the place of his martyrdom might be in Israel. However, by 1991, he was convinced that the martyrdom would be in the U.S. Instead of Israel, he said the prophecies of Daniel would be fulfilled in Waco and that Mark Kamel Center was the Vedic Kingdom. Damn, he said this is our Mecca, bro. He said, if anything's going to happen, it's going to be there at at the Waco compound. So we need to be back there. Better fucking believe it. So after being exiled to the Palestine camp, Koresh and his followers eked out a primitive existence. And then when Lois died in 1986, the exiled Branch Davidians wondered if they would ever be able to return to Mark Carmel Center. But despite their displacement, Koresh now enjoyed the loyalty of the majority of the Branch Davidian community. In 1987, Rodin exhumed at least one body from the community cemetery. Rodin said he was just moving the cemetery, while Koresh claimed that Rodin had issued a challenge to resurrect the body and that whoever resurrected the body would be the new leader. Koresh went to the authorities to file charges against Rodin for illegally exhuming a corpse, but was told he would have to show proof, such as a photograph photograph of the corpse. Koresh seized the opportunity to seek criminal prosecution of Roden by returning to Mark Carmel Center with seven armed followers, allegedly attempting to get photographic proof of the exhumation. Uh, Koresh's group was discovered by Roden, and a gunfight broke out. When the sheriff arrived, Roden had already suffered a minor gunshot wound and was pinned down by a tree. As a result of the incident, Koresh and his followers were charged with attempted murder, at the trial, Koresh explained that he went uh, he went to Mount Carmel for Mount Carmel Center to uncover evidence of criminal disturbance by a corpse of Roden. Koresh's followers were acquitted, and in Koresh's case, a mistrial was declared. <laughs> in 1989, Roden murdered Wayman Dale Adier. Wait, 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 wait! A mistrial was declared for for Koresh. Yes. Yo, he had some hand in that. Oh, for sure. Uh, he, he's, 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 oh, for sure. He's intimidating motherfuckers. He's out there. Oh, yeah. Yo, he was out there clapping fucking old lady claps. He's cla- yeah, he's clapping members of the jury. Probably clapped the judge's wife, too. Bro, he's a habitual clapper. Oh, yeah. Clap, clap, clap. He's clapping to get it done, man. He's clapping to get it done, for sure. Bro. For sure. Uh, in, Roden, in 1989, Roden murdered Wayman Dale Adier with Wait, an axe. Wayman? Wayman. 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 No, no D, just N. Wayman. 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 Wayman Dale Adier. That's a great name. With an axe blow to the skull after Adier stated his belief that he himself was the true Messiah. Roden claimed the man was sent by Koresh to kill him. These guys are fucking hardcore, man. What the fuck? They're serious about this Messiah shit. They're all fighting to be the real Messiah, man. Damn. Yo, this is like the hood for white people. <laughs> Pretty much. You know what I mean? Like, they just, they're killing each other to be the Messiah rather than to be, like, thugs. These are the it's white crazy, streets. Man. I finally found them after all these years. It's crazy, man. <laughs> this is like... Yo, he killed him with a wha- uh, whack to the axe. Dude, to the an axe to the, the fucking head, dude. Lizzie Borden style, dog? Pretty much. Shit was crazy, dude. That's, but uh, that's and then when put on trial about it, Roden said that Koresh sent that man to try and kill him. So that's why he killed him first. Nice. 
was so a hit. Like, yeah. It was Man. crazy. So Yo. maybe fucking there was some truth to that fucking uh, Amish Mafia show. Remember that? Maybe, man. You never know. You never know. Yeah. This is almost shit like... it's wild in the backwoods. Yeah, this is like modern-day ma- mafia kind of shit. Yeah, dude. This is like a Messiah Mafia. This over Messiah here, Mafia, for sure. Nice. Uh, later, uh, Roden was declared uh, insane and confined to a psych- psychiatric hospital at Big Spring, Texas. Since Roden owed thousands of dollars in unpaid taxes on Mark Carmel Center, Koresh and his followers were able to raise the money and reclaim the property. Roden co- continued to harass the Koresh faction by filing legal papers while imprisoned. When Koresh and his followers reclaimed the Mount Carmel Center, they discovered the tenants who had rented from Roden had left behind a meth lab, which Koresh <laughs> reported to the local police department and asked to have removed. Wait, these motherfuckers set him up for kill too. If he didn't get killed, he was going to sub for going to jail for meth. Damn, these are hard motherfuckers out here. Yo, they're mething and fucking clapping cheeks out that way. Yep. So wait. What? He got set up with a... Well, the people that rented the Waco compound... From Roden after Roden got arrested. Oh, I already had a meth went, lab. Set put up. a meth lab in there, and then so, so when Koresh and them took over, the, the meth out. lab was there. But then he immediately called the police and asked him, asked him to remove the meth lab. Nice. Yo, after dude. they made like eight ounces to keep for themselves. Oh, probably. <laughs> I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're doing something. The they weren't just stone cold feet. sober. There's no yeah. way. Those motherfuckers are getting yeah. high on something. The cops come in, it's like all messed out. They're, yeah, they'd be like, you to destroy this there'd be place. like some six-year-old kid walk up and be like, excuse me, Mr. David, can I hit the meth pipe? And he'd say, it is God's will, my child. You must get high on the meth. This is Messiah meth. That would explain some shit if they're all just messed the fuck out. They were fucking nuts, dude. But, uh, yeah, so now on to... You know, some allegations of child abuse and statutory rape against David, which is this is the kind this is the stuff that like leads into the the siege, the the standoff. Handy feely, fucking David Crash, fucking weirdo. Crash <laughs> uh, was alleged to have been involved in multiple incidents of se- physical and sexual abuse of children. His doctrine of the House of David did lead to marriages with both married and single women in the Branch Davidians. The doctrine was based on a purported revelation that involved the production of 24 children by chosen women in the community. These 24 children were to serve as 24 ruling elders over the millennium after the return of Christ. These women, reportedly chosen through the doctrine, included at least one underage girl, Michelle Jones, who was the younger sister of Koresh's legal wife, Rachel, and the daughter of lifelong Branch Davidians, Perry and Mary Bell Jones. <laughs> so, yeah, at the time, all this shit's going on where, you know, David's, like, trying to fuck with all these girls. Like, you know, he's trying to get in clap cheeks with all these young girls again, dude. He's still, at the time, throughout all this, he's still legally married to a girl named Rachel. They stayed married through it all. What the fuck? 
But she never got jealous because, you know, she thought David was the next Messiah. Yeah, he's the second coming. So if he's if he says he's got to sleep with this woman, then he's got to sleep with this woman, basically. But, yo, and it was crazy. It was so weird. I was talking to them before, uh, like, when you see the people in the documentary that were actually involved, there was, like, kids who were there and grew up in the shit. Now they're, you know... Older and shit, but you could tell even some of them were like still oh, yeah. enamored with like Koresh and shit. Oh yeah, dude, I'm still, sure. they you could tell that they some of them still kind of believed a little bit, you know. Oh, I'm it's sure. Weird to see. Remind me of that one show that you told me to watch. Remember about that guy who had all those? Oh, people? stolen youth. Yes, that stolen youth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where like the one that one girl like believed it all, still believes it. It's crazy, man. That's where, like, that's where, like, I always, like, have made jokes about, like, oh, you know, I wanted to, uh, did I wanted to, uh, like, join a cult just to see what it's like? Because I want to know, like, what it is in you that, like, convinces you to believe these people yeah, that it's, wholeheartedly. It's, it's weird, like, when you could see people have put up mental blocks in their head and they won't acknowledge it themselves, you know? Yeah, like, it's, like that, weird to see that happen. I think that's what interests me the most about cults is, like, shit like that, because, like, I want to know, like, why... Like, what is it in your brain that, like, switched to, like, the point where, like, you could fully believe these people, you know what I mean? Like, is it just from hearing the same shit over and over again that you eventually just start to believe it? Or is it, like, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Shit's wild. But, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, I don't know, Drew, uh, Chap, we're going to send you out to a cult. Congratulations. Uh, Next week you start. Oh, fuck yeah. You just got to show up at the top of this mountain. Hey, naked. Hey, I will do it. I'll do it for the. I'll do it for the losers. I'll do it for the pod. Will you? All right, Hell good yeah. to know. All right. But guess who's coming? This form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can't sue us. Yo, guess who's coming with me? Old Cheetah over there. It's gonna, gonna be the adventures of Chopper Cheetah on, on a mountain. No, no, no. There's I'm only, okay. There's only room for one. In this yeah. Trial. Wait, wait, wait. They this said is, they need a big whoa, hefty guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is bullshit. This is two to one. The brothers against the cousin. Kind of bullshit. What the fuck? I gotta be part of the cult. How about you join the cult, Choop? I got shit to do next week. Yeah, Let me too. Me too I'm busy. Sorry. I'm busy. Yo. And we already put your name down, so yeah, looking so. specifically hey, for you. It's not going to be me, players. I'll fucking bite the... I'll, if, if the fucking cult leader say, you got to... I'm going to do you because you take the game. I'm going to bite his fucking wiener <laughs> off him. Cut the That us. was very specific. That was very specific. Also, just cut the us, just tie and chop up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you got to catch me first, bitch. You're already, that fast. You're in the corner of the room. You ain't going nowhere, dude. <laughs> dude all, all I can do is flip fucking couple tables. I'm fucking zooming out. Make sure, all right. I make sure I got my vest so on. Run through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> we'll make you pay. You got to pay double dues this month <laughs> for fucking the tables up. <laughs> no, I can't do that. All right. Now, uh, in 1992, a uh, six-month investigation of sexual abuse allegations by the Texas Child Protect. Child Protection Services failed to turn up any evidence, possibly because the Branch Davidians concealed the spiritual marriage of Koresh to Michelle, assigning a surrogate husband, David Thibodeau, to the girl for the sake of appearances. Regarding the allegations of physical abuse, the evidence was less certain. In one widely reported incident, ex-members claimed that Koresh became irritated with the cries of his son Cyrus and spanked the child severely for several minutes on three consecutive visits to the child's bedroom. 
In a second report, a young man, a man involved in a custody battle, visited Mount Carmel Center and claimed to have seen beating of a young boy with a stick. What? Yeah. The fuck? Yep. Uh, Later, during all the siege and all that, um, we'll get to in a second. But uh, during all that, the FBI tried to use that as justification for uh, forcing an end to the 51-day standoff. Well, so they tried to use the child abuse and all that as a reason why. So even before that, I noticed that uh, in in uh, all crash it, the video clips of crash and shit, they kind of had like this conservative kind of element to like the way they thought. They were very like liberty first, so they were stockpiling mad guns, right? Yeah, yeah. So they had mad, all types of weaponry and shit, bro. Well, that's Pretty the thing sick. that like that's where like I always kind of like rode the line between where I stood on, like, the whole, you know, this whole, like, Waco siege and shit, because obviously I don't agree with, like, a lot of David Crush's material, you know, like, you know, his, his like, his teachings, you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff I don't agree with, like, you know, with him, <coughs> my bad, with him, uh you know, with him, like, fathering with underage girls and stuff like that, obviously I don't believe in any of that, but at the same time, you kind of got to look at it as, you know, in a sense, they kind of just wanted to be left to their own devices. You know what I mean? They kind of just, they kind of just wanted to live life the way they wanted to live it yeah, and be left alone. It's like uh, nothing's ever fucking black and white. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah, I see what you mean. And fucking, um, you got the right to practice whatever religion you want. Yeah, that's you know? so. That's I see what you mean. But he, this dude's obviously clearly a fucking creep too. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I'm not, you know, I mean, I obviously I don't... But as far, yeah, but it's, it, like you said, it's kind of a slippery slope. It's like they were just kind of just doing their thing on their property, really. Yeah. And I mean, most of the people that did survive from the Waco siege, when they talked about it later... They all chose They all, Yeah, they all... There. None of them said they were held there against their will. They all said they, they stayed because they wanted to be there. You know what I mean? So, like, um, it, you don't agree with it, you know what so I mean? I'll, a lot of it's weird, but... And, and I wanted to say, too, we kind of gloss over, like, how the siege happened, right? So, the day uh, that the FBI... Uh, oh, yeah, I was about to go uh, into that, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I was about to go into how it all started and shit. Yeah, well, um, I was, uh, you were talking about there's no black and white area. I was taking this class for a manager class. We t- we talked about the same, not just the black and white area, there's always a gray area. There's be black yeah, and white. It usually is. There's two sides to every story. Everyone's got different perspectives. Yeah, but there's also uh, there's two sides, and, and it's never the, easy. And there's two sides, and, and there's always the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's just never nothing's ever just straight black and white, right, right down the middle. If it wasn't, life's not like that. If if it was like that, was shit. We'd be off. We'd be like, hey, how you doing? I'm a robot. All right, all right, all right. All right. <clears throat> so yeah, basically uh when the FBI well, first the ATF went there first, you know, the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. They went there for a raid first using an affidavit. Yeah, basically. They yeah. knocked on the door like that. Yeah, using an affidavit. Uh they went there with an affidavit that was filed by um an agent, I believe his name was uh, Special Agent David Aguilera. He obtained the search and arrest warrant that led to the Waco siege, and basically it was there because 
of a farmer that lived nearby who said that he had heard shooting. He said he heard a machine gun fire, and by the sound of it, it was likely a fifty caliber machine gun and multiple M16s. God damn. Which uh, they which turns out that they actually did they have. They did have those, so yes. That's exactly yes. what he heard, and that's exactly what they were doing, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, using the affidavit filed by Aguilera, they alleged that alleged that the Davidians had violated federal law. The ATF obtained search and arrest warrants for David Koresh and specific, fo- specific followers on weapon charges, citing the many firearms they had accumulated. The search warrant commanded a search on or before January, February 28, 1993, in the daytime between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. The, the ATF made a claim that Koresh was possibly operating a methamphetamine lab to establish a drug nexus and obtain military assets under the war on drugs. Although the ATF's investigation focused on firearm violations not on illegal drugs, the ATF requested assistance from the DEA and the DOD citing a drug connection based on, one, a recent delivery to the compound of chemicals, instruments, and glassware, and two, a written testimony from a former compound resident alleging Howell Oh, uh, that's David Koresh. Had told him that drug trafficking was a desirable way to raise money. <coughs> nice. So they probably actually were fucking smoking some meth. Huh? Oh, I'm sure. I'm... <laughs> a meth, clapping cheeks. You know, that that would make sense what kept them all there. They're oh, all yeah. Just waiting for the next batch of fucking God's meth to roll through your pipes. Wouldn't surprise me. It would explain a lot of shit, right? Hell, yeah. I mean, it would explain why Koresh was so, like, you know, Paranoid. why his personality was so big the way that it was. Because if you, like, watch videos of him and shit, his personality's like, he's very, like, you know, grab attention of the room kind of person, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was very, uh, you know. Talks real slow and deliberate. Yeah. Uh, several current residents who had dry, prior drug involvement... Uh, they also had two former residents who were incarcerated for drug trafficking crimes and National Guard overflights thermal images showing a hot spot, hot spot inside the compound, possibly indicating a methamphetamine laboratory. Although the original request for assistance was initially pr- approved, the commander of the Special Forces Detachment questioned the request and the ATF obtained only a training site at Fort Hood, Texas, from February 25th to February 27th with safety inspections for the training lanes and was given only a medical and communications training equipment. The ATF had planned for their raid, had planned their raid for Monday, March 1st, 1993 with the code name Showtime, which is kind of funny because Showtime is the one that ended up making a Waco series. What the fuck? And now is making another Waco series set up after the Waco siege of what happened afterwards. That's supposed to come out this year with all the same people from the first one. Uh, The ATF later claimed that the raid was moved up a day to uh, February 28th, 1993 in response to Waco Tribune Herald's The Sinful Messiah series of articles, which the ATF had tried to prevent from being published. Beginning February 1st, ATF agents... Had three meetings with the Tribune Herald staff regarding a delay in publication of the Sinful Messiah. The paper was first told by the ATF 
that the raid would take place February 22nd, which changed to March 1st, and then ultimately to an infinite date, indefinite date. The ATF agents felt the newspaper had held off publication at the request of the ATF for at least three weeks, and a February 24th meeting between the Tribune, Tribune Herald staff and ATF agent Philip Kojanke, <laughs> Cho, oh, Cho Janke. <laughs> and two other agents, the ATF could not po- could not give the newspaper staff a clear idea of what action was planned or when. The Tribune Herald informed ATF that they were publishing the series, which included an editorial calling for local authorities to act. Personnel of the Tribune Herald found out about the imminent raid after the first installment of the Sinful Messiah had already been had already appeared on February twenty seventh. <laughs> Damn, so basically the fucking media blew the lid off this Oh, yeah. Thing. Just like always, the fucking news stations were the one that pretty much fucked this whole thing up to begin with because that, they the, released this article before. And the, uh, they he, could even, the, the ATF could even get in there. Yeah, so basically Crash is already on high alarm. Oh, yeah, he's no, already on yeah, alert now. Yeah, now he right. knows what's coming. He basically knows what's going to happen, so now he's going into, like, defensive mode, basically. Yeah, it's just because and and what ended up what ends up happening, you'll see that they're very fucking ready for this possibility to happen. All those guns and shit. Oh yeah, no, no more clapping cheeks. You say, all right, guys, you got your women not getting these, clapped these cheeks. Are, these are fanatic religious people that, and they're not gonna. They be, really believe they're on a. They believe one hundred percent that they're in the right and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, basically. and they they almost believe they're walking like. Spirit, you're yeah. watching them walking a path to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like people don't. That's like the thing know, that people don't understand. Like you know, I mean, really there's people that like. There's like people <laughs> that know like the basics about Waco, but like to really understand it, you got to like really dive deep into it. And once you do, you start to realize that David Koresh, him like saying that he was a messiah and shit, it wasn't all a ploy. He honestly like 100 percent believed it, and the people that followed him 100 percent believed that he was really a messiah. You know I mean, so these people in their minds, nothing could hurt them because they, you know, this was all planned from God for them, basically. It's fucking crazy. Yo, you know what's all fucking crazy? What if I'm a messiah? I'm just saying. What, what if I'm a messiah over here? Then you're the fucking your... worst one right, ever. There's a button on your mic. Go ahead and slide <laughs> that downward. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> hey, I gotta put my two cents in, but. Uh, so, although. The ATF preferred to arrest Koresh when he was outside Mount Carmel. Planners received inaccurate information that Koresh rarely left it. And the Branch Davidian members were all known, all well-known locally and cordial relations with other locals. The Branch Davidians partly supported themselves by trading at gun shows and took care to have the relevant paperwork to ensure their transactions were legal. They also sold a lot of meth. Probably. But trailer park. Yes. On the side of Mark Carmel. Probably. Would not surprise me. <laughs> Branch Davidian Paul Fada. Paul Fada. Paul Fada. <laughs> Paul Fada. <laughs> was a federal firearms licensed dealer. So, I mean, they, they had some big name people in these fucking, in this group, man. They had, like, some people that, like, had some, like, legit ties. Yeah. 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 Yo. Yeah. yeah. Yo. And the group operated, the group operated a retail gun business called the Mag Bag. When shipments for the mag bag arrived, they were signed for by Fada, Steve Schneider, or Koresh, 
And the morning of the raid, Paul Fada and his son Kalani were on their way to Austin to an Austin gun show to conduct business. Kalani Fada. Kalani Fada. Uh, now, February 28th, the ATF attempted to execute their search warrant on Sunday morning, February 28th, 1993. The local sheriff, in audio tapes broadcast after the incident, said he was not apprised apprised of the raid, despite being informed that the Branch Davidians knew a raid was coming. The ATF commander Gosh. ordered that it go ahead, even though their plan depended on so- reaching the cop the compound without the branch civilians being armed and prepared. So so this so what happens is, right? So they're preparing to go in there off site a little bit. Which cops do, which uh, like when we lived in the falls all the time, we oh, see yeah. them gathering for raids, right? They all meet at one place. Yep. And then ride out. So they were doing this outside of Mount Carmel, right? And uh the post office guy drives by sees all the cops and shit turns out that he the postman was actually a branch davidian turns right around goes back and tips all of them off yep. that they're right up the street so they wanted the element of surprise but they lost it almost immediately so <laughs> david koresh and the Bert davidians they knew what was coming now they knew that these guys were raiding them and they knew that it wasn't you know what i mean that they weren't gonna you know what i mean so yeah, like basically they had a search warrant but they weren't gonna let them in <laughs> at all. Nah. Uh, They're holding down the fort, basically, one way or another. Yeah. And then, uh, while not standard procedure, ATF agents had their blood type written on their arms or neck after leaving the staging area and before the raid because it was recommended by the military to facilitate speedy blood transfusions in the case of injury. So, like, they're so, going all out, damn. dude. They're going yeah. all out. Yo, imagine you're the guy and they tell you that. Like, we're just going to put your... We're expecting you to get shot the fuck up or something. Damn, so that makes me feel like maybe... Like, I, I got the sense that when I watched the uh, documentary that, like, maybe the cops at first maybe weren't, like... Maybe it was a miscommunication of, like, how serious these branch Davidians were. Oh, yeah, like, dude, I got I'm the, sure. Yeah, I got the feeling, like, maybe the cops didn't know really what they were... I think the higher-ups behind all of it didn't... Give them right. didn't give them yeah. all the information they needed. Right, to know I about think they weren't prepped to happen here. Yeah. Right, because the way they just and the way the compound's set up too, it's super flat out there. So like from the compound, they could see for miles, yo. So it's like they cut. You're almost like you're almost just being on the compound. You're uh, walking like. I mean, there's a good chance that if after they realized that the element of surprise was pretty much gone. There's a good chance that if they would have just scrapped it right there and said, "Let's start over," which they probably let's try a new yeah, plan. Right. There's That's a good a... chance that it wouldn't have went down the way it did. Right, exactly. They but they didn't, should've. and they probably I mean? should have circled back and reformulated a new plan. You know, you know, um, at the first stage of the stage, the Wiggle stage, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'll say it was like that stand only lasts for about three hours. The original, yeah the the original one. Yeah, uh, fucking ends up going pretty badly, too, right? Yeah, I was just about to get into that. Um, like Troop said, uh, they were tipped off by a U.S. Postal Service mail carrier, who was coincidentally Koresh's brother-in-law. Koresh then told undercover agent, ATF agent Robert Rodriguez, 
that they knew a raid was imminent, Rodriguez had infiltrated the Branch Davidians and was astonished to find that his cover had been blown. The agent made an excuse and left the compound when asked later what the Branch Davidians had been doing when he left the compound. Rodriguez replied, they were praying. Branch Davidian survivors have written that Koresh ordered selected male followers to begin arming and taking up defensive positions. While the women and children were told to take cover in their rooms, Koresh told them he would try to speak to the agents and what happened next would depend on the agents' intentions. The ATF arrived at at 9.45 in the morning in a convoy of civilian vehicles containing uniformed personnel in SWAT-style tactical gear. The ATF agents stated that they had they heard shots coming from within the compound, while Branch Davidian survivors claimed that the first shots came from the ATF agents outside. Now, this right here is one of the things that's been debated for years since the Waco siege is who shot first? Where did the first shots come from? Right. Because both sides claims they didn't shoot first. Right. But those first shots were they played a big part in what happened here too. So these uh these guys too in the on the house in the compound they had the crow's nests set up they had like uh, little squares where you could stick the rifle of a gun out you know they had like little slots all over the place oh yeah they had this place rigged up to go man yeah to, it was to like fight, they had yeah. like defensive positions ready to go and shit they're mad tactical with it and like the reason they set up all this stuff is wasn't because they had planned. Well, you see, like, what they came from. They got ran out of the, the last compound with guns and shit. This shit is, like, fucking big business down there. Is yeah, like, dude. They, <laughs> they basically, crazy, at the end though. of the day, though, at the end of the day, which, like we said earlier, at the end of the day, a lot of them, they just wanted to be left the fuck alone. You know what I mean? They just wanted to be left to do their own thing. So they're like, listen, if we got to fight back to keep this, you know, in their mind, this piece of paradise, then, you know, that's what we're going to do, basically, because they... They, that's all they wanted. They just wanted to be sometimes left to their own it's spot. like sometimes too, it's like who the fuck are we to tell them they're not? Yeah. Like if but they want, if they're I not just, hurting anybody, I mean, fuck, who cares? But, you know, but like, he, this guy's like, it's different. But yo, it's like um, it's a slippery slope. You gotta be careful what you say. Yeah. Um. Because Koresh was a grade-A fucking... Oh, yeah, he was, he's a piece of shit. There's no doubt. There's no <laughs> debating that. I'm, I'm not, I've always said he was, a, he was a piece of shit, but... I mean, like we said before, you know, everybody that was there wanted to be there for the most part. So right. who are we to tell them, you know, you're not allowed to do that, basically. But uh, ATF agents... Oh, yeah, they uh, a suggested reason for the shots had been... Uh, May have been an accidental discharge of a weapon. Someone cheddar bobbed themselves walking up. Pretty much, they probably. Started the whole shit. <laughs> some, some dude trips over a log walking up and shoots himself in the fucking dick. Yeah. Now, uh, now fucking four people end up dead. Yeah, they caused the ATF to respond with fire from automatic weapons. Other reports claim the first shots were fired by the ATF dog team sent to kill the dogs in the Branch Davidians' kennels. Three helicopters of the Army National Guard were used as aerial distraction and all took incoming fire. Gotta be said, too, there's women and children in this house. Yeah, that's that's the worst of it all. There's, like, innocent people in there, you know what I mean, that just were only there because they believed that, you know, David Koresh was the second coming, basically. 
But uh, during the first shots, Koresh was wounded, shot in the hand, and in the stomach. And within a minute of the raid's start, Branch Davidian Wayne Martin called emergency services, pleading for them to stop shooting. Martin asked for a ceasefire, and audio tapes record him saying, Here they come again, and that's them shooting, that's not us. The first ATF casualty was an agent who made it to the west side of the building before he was wounded. Agents quickly took cover and fired at the buildings while the helicopters began their diversion and swept in low over the complex, 350 feet away from the building. The branch Davidians were fired on the helicopters and hit them, although none of the crew members were injured. In response, the helicopter pilots chose to pull away from the compound and land on the east side of the compound. Agents brought out two ladders and set them against the side of the building. They then climbed onto the roof to secure it to reach Koresh's room and the location where they believed weapons were stored. On the west slope of the roof, three agents reached Koresh's window and were crouching beside it when they came under fire. One agent was killed and another wounded. The third agent clambered over the peak of the roof and joined other agents attempting to enter the armory. The window was smashed, a flashbang stun grenade was thrown in, and three agents entered the armory. When another tried to follow them, a hail of bullets penetrated the wall and wounded him, but he was able to reach a ladder and slide to safety. An agent fired his shotgun at Branch Davidians until he was hit in the head by return fire and killed. Inside the armory, the agents killed a Branch Davidian and discovered a cache of weapons, but subsequently came under fire, heavy fire. Two were wounded. As they escaped, the third agent laid down covering fire, killing a Branch Davidian. As he made his escape, he hit his head on a wooden support beam and fell off the roof, but survived. An agent outside provided them with covering fire, but was shot by a Branch Davidian and killed instantly. Dozens of ATF agents took cover, many behind Branch Davidian vehicles, and exchanged fire with the Branch Davidians. The number of ATF wounded increased, and an agent was killed by gunfire from the compound as agents were firing at a Branch Davidian perched on top of the water tower. The exchange of fire continued, but 45 minutes into the raid, the gunfire, gunfire began to slow down as agents began to run low on ammunition. The shooting continued for a total of two hours. Yeah, so it's not going well for the ATF here. Holy not shit. at all. And uh, they also have, like, hurt ATF agents that are bed down that they can't get to. There's, like, the one guy perched on the roof, and he's just laid down flat. They can't get to him and shit. And then uh, Sheriff Lieutenant Lynch of the McLean County Sheriff Party, Sheriff County Department contacted the ATF and negotiated a ceasefire. Sheriff Howell Harlow states in William Gusecki's documentary Waco, the rules of engagement that the ATF agents withdraw withdrew only after they were out of in- ammunition. ATF agent Chuck Heistmeyer later wrote, about 45 minutes into the shootout, the volume of gunfire finally started to slacken. We were running out of ammunition. Davidians, however, had plenty. In all, in all, four agents, four ATF agents, Steve Willis, Robert Williams, Todd McKeon, and Conway Charles LeBlue had been killed during the firefight. Another 16 had been injured after the ceasefire. The Branch Davidians allowed the ATF dead and wounded to be evacuated and held their fire during the ATF retreat. 
So uh, in the documentary, um, a lot of it's about how there was... So they're talking to Koresh this whole time. They got an open line to Koresh, right? Yeah. So he's... Um, so it's it's kind of about the relationship of the the negotiation team and then the ATF soldiers that are basically keeping watch over the compound. And then you got this other team of negotiators working. And uh, they kind of got... They kind of fumbled a little bit in, like, uh, things they let slip to what they said to, like, Koresh and shit. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and then, uh, after the ATF retreated, and they, uh, let the ATF come and, you know, collect the bodies of the agents that had died, which, first of all, they didn't even have to do that. You know I mean? They could have been asked and said, no, you can't come get your bodies, but they did, because at the end of the day, the branch of videos, you know what I mean? It's not like they set out to kill these people, you know what I mean? They were just defending what what was theirs, basically. But uh, there was five Branch Davidians killed in the raid, uh, and they were Winston Blake, Peter Gent, Peter Hipsman, Perry Jones, and Jaden Wendell. Two were killed at the hands of the Branch Davidians after being having been wounded. Their bodies were buried on the grounds. Nearly six... Six hours after 11.30 a.m. ceasefire, Michael Schrouder was shot dead by ATF agents who alleged he fired a pistol at agents as he attempted to re-enter the compound with Rudro Kendrick and Norman Allison. Alan A. Stone's report states that the Branch Davidians did not ambush the ATF and that they apparently did not maximize the kill of the ATF agents, explaining that they were rather just desperate religious fanatics expecting an apocalyptic ending in which they were destined to die defending their sacred ground and destined to achieve salvation. A 1999 federal report noted, the violent tendencies of dangerous cults can be classified by two general categories, defensive violence and offensive violence. Defensive violence is utilized by cults to defend a compound or enclave that was created specifically to eliminate most contact with dominant culture. The 1993 clash in Waco, Texas at the Branch Davidian Complex was insulation of this of such defensive violence. History has shown that groups that seek to withdraw from the dominant culture seldom act on their beliefs that the end time has come and less provoked. Sidebar, uh, throughout the whole thing now, too, after the initial uh, contact, this thing became a media fucking circus. Oh, well. yeah. So, uh, and Koresh, like, really ate it up. He got oh, a he lot loved of, the attention. Yeah, he got a lot of mainstream. Uh, he did, like, some radio interviews, right? Yeah, he, he started putting out, he started making videos of, like, uh, of, like, sermons and shit that he wanted to put out into the media. For people to see and shit like that, yeah. he was loving the attention. Definitely used it to his advantage to try yep. to pull the strings, you know. Yo, don't mind me. I'm trying to find like the Google map image of Waco. This one kind of quiet over here, trying to see. I could have a visual of. Why do you say "don't mind me" when like anybody that's nobody listening was to this minding could, you, motherfucker? Like anybody that's listening to this could see what you're doing over there. Only we could see you. No, but I'm, I was awfully quiet. I'm just. Yeah, you're always fucking quiet. I, I try you're to... like Jamie. Yeah, fuck you. You chime in from time to time. But uh, after the ATF agents 
uh, withdrew. This is when, this is where shit started to get really get crazy because now the FBI got involved and took over command. Uh, they placed Jeff Jamar, the head of the Bureau of San Antonio field office in charge of the siege as site commander. Uh, and the FBI hostage rescue team was headed by the HRT commander, Richard Rogers, who had previously been criticized for his actions during the Ruby Ridge incident, which we did talk about Ruby Ridge super way back, like early days on this episode. Uh, Ruby Ridge was an 11 day standoff with, uh, a man who was being arrested for uh, gun charges for having illegal guns. And uh, uh, FBI agents ended up like pretty much killing his entire family right in front of him. <laughs> Even shooting his wife while they're, while she was outside holding a newborn baby. So shot his dog. It, it, Ruby Ridge is like, it's Ruby Ridge is like a smaller kind of thing, but it's definitely, if you know, something you can look into if you want to know more about it. It's, it's still pretty shit. wild too. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just look at the image. You can tell the building, you, that building that got destroyed in that uh, the sage. You can still see the outline of the fucking building. Yeah, well, they still do. Yeah, they do. Tor- they do tours of the ground and shit now. Do they? Nice. Of, of where it was, where it's at. Yeah, they yeah. do tours, all that shit. Dude, let's go. Let's go to Waco, Texas. All right. And plus, where would be a new Dave Koresh? I'm gonna call myself Stan Smresh. Boom. I gotta find out how far I stole from, it. Don't don't steal it. I gotta find how far Waco's from my aunt's house. Wow. That was good. <laughs> uh at first the Davidians, like you were just saying, they had contact with local news media and Crush gave phone interviews. The FBI cut Davidian communication to the outside world, and for the next fifty one days, communication with those inside was by telephone by a group of 25 FBI negotiators. The final Justice Department report found that negotiators criticized the tactical commanders for undercutting negotiations. Uh, In the first few days after the FBI took over, the FBI believed they had made a breakthrough when they negotiated with Koresh an agreement that the branch civilians would peacefully leave the compound in return for a message recorded by Koresh being broadcast on national radio. The broadcast was made, but Koresh then told negotiators that God told him to remain in the building and wait. Oh, he double backed on him. Oh, yeah. Despite this, soon so afterwards... Like he made him play like a... It was just a video of him like doing Elvis impressions and shit. He was just doing yoga and shit. <laughs> yeah. He, Yo, uh, he had Richard Simmons outfit on. Yeah, I just, I just realized how far it was. It was maybe uh, an hour away from my aunt's house. Oh, yeah? Nice. Welcome back. <laughs> David <What>? Crash TV. <laughs> you guys we... ready to sweat to the branch Davidians? Are you, are you re- sweating to Davidians? Or are you ready for your lady friends to get clapped by us? But David Squirrela says. Go fucking wait in the hallway, dude. <laughs> uh, I get where you're going. You're getting there. <laughs> the broadcast was made, but then Crush told the... Oh, yeah, I said that. Uh, despite this, soon afterwards, negotiators managed to facilitate the release of 19 children, ranging in age from 5 months to 12 years old, without their parents. However, 98 people still remained in the building. The children were then interviewed by the FBI and Texas Rangers, some for hours at a time. Allegedly, the children had been physically and sexually abused long before the standoff. 
This was likely the key justification offered by the FBI, both to then-President Bill Clinton and the Eternal General Janet Reno for launching tear gas attacks to force the Branch Davidians out of the compound. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is where this is where it gets a little, you know, a little iffy, too, because they say that a lot of these kids that they were interviewing were saying that they had been sexually or physically abused, but I mean... So, like, all the girls, all the young girls, like, 14 teenage girls and shit, they would all, like, compete uh, to who was gonna be wives to Koresh eventually and shit. You, um... Like, everyone worshipped the fucking dude. It's real weird. Yeah, it's very the, weird. Yeah, I was watching... Uh, during that document, uh, they were talking about, according to their religion or something, a girl is, is a woman at the age of 12. I just always seen these, like, young teenage girls. Throwing- Sidebar, uh, there's another uh, really cool documentary. I forgot the name, but I'll, I'll get it to you. But uh, about the Mormons, the guy who... Uh, who, Jim Mormon? He was faking books and then selling them to the Mormon religion. Really? Yeah, he was, like, writing... That's wild. Yeah, because, like, Mormons, Mormonism's still young enough where you can kind of, like... He was falsifying books that he knew that they would want yeah. and shit. Uh, and it's like a, he ends up he ends up in a murder and shit. It's fucking crazy. Of course. I'll get you the name of it. You should watch that documentary, though, Cheetah. I will. I love a good documentary, man. You know yeah, me. it just happened in the 90s. The guy was falsifying all the documents and shit, dude. <laughs> he sold one for like a million dollars to the church. You know me, man. I love a good documentary. I love yeah. a good true crime show now, too. I'm in a lot of true crime shows lately. But it's crazy, like, how much uh, power <laughs> and shit, like, the Mormon church has in that area of the country and stuff, you know? Yo, there's a lot of, like... There's some weird sex all over the country. Yeah, <laughs> real sex. A lot of these, like, sex. these big things, like these religious cults and shit, dude, a lot of them aren't, like, super well-known, but, like, if you dive into a lot of them, it's, there's a lot of wild shit that happens in a lot of them. But there's some that, like, never get that much attention because they're not that big, but they're yeah, fucking a lot, crazy. Yeah, a lot in Cali, too. That's why, like, in Grand Theft Auto, you got those missions where you can bring, like, people up to the hill. Shit. <laughs> That's what fucking... Henry's gonna be there, dude. He's gonna be living in one of those. Like Jared Leto, fucking. Hey, oh, hey. Boy. calm Island. down. Hey, hey, listen. calm down. You're hey, gonna get whoa, them all riled whoa, up whoa. over there. Oh, Jared Leto's a good, good cult leader. Damn, yeah, he can tell his fucking followers to lick him and shit. <laughs> lick the sweat off my body. It comes from God. Drew will be first in line. Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Chop. You know I love you. But uh. <laughs> he's pissed yeah. Yeah, he's, he's gonna pissed. fucking leave me here I'm gonna have to walk home His face is mad as fuck uh, The FBI sent a video camera To the Branch of Videos uh, In the video What? The Branch of Videos? Is that uh, Branch of Videos I'm gonna say My throat's super dry I don't know why uh, When Koresh made a videotape And introduced his children and his wives to the FBI negotiators, including several minors who claim to have babies fathered. I hate them all, man. Damn, man. <laughs> who had babies fathered by Koresh. Koresh had fathered perhaps 14 of the children who stayed with him in the compound. 14 of them! I think in total, in the end, I think he had 16 children. 16 children! Uh... 
Yeah, and he, uh, on day 19, they sent out a video showing that everybody was in there, was out, was there on their own free will, and nobody was being forced to stay. Uh, negotiator's log showed that when the tape was reviewed, there was concern that the tapes released to the media would again would gain sympathy for Koresh and the Branch Davidians. Videos also showed 23 still, children still inside the compound and child care professionals on the outside prepared to take care of those children as well as the previous 19 released. As the siege continued, Koresh negotiated for more time, allegedly so he could write religious documents he needed to complete before surrendering. His conversations, which were dense with biblical imagery, alienated the federal negotiations who treated the situation as a hostage crisis. Among themselves, the negotiation team took to calling Koresh's words Bible babble. Bible babble, Blee. Bible blabble. Pretty much. So that's one way to just say, like, this. Bible blabble, blue. Bible blabble, Straight up bullshit. Pretty much. Uh, as the siege wore on, two factions developed within the FBI. One believing that negotiation to be the answer, the other force. Increasingly aggressive techniques were used to try and force the branch Davidians out. For instance, uh, deep sleep deprivation of the inhabitants throughout. Through all-night broadcasts of recording of jet planes, pop music, Buddhist chanting, and screams of rabbits being slaughtered. And, uh, yeah, just like Richard Simmons videos and shit. Pretty much. But that just made Crush even happier because he would <laughs> just start dancing around the compound. He growing his hair out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, outside the compound, nine Bradley fighting vehicles carrying M651 CS tear gas grenades and ferret rounds and five... S- M728 combat engineer vehicles obtained from the U.S. Army began patrolling. The armored vehicles were used to destroy perimeter fencing and outbuilding and crush cars belonging to the Branch Davidians. Oh, they're uh, going scorched earth at this point. Oh, yeah. Man, now they're starting to get to the point where, like, now we're just going to get these people out here however the fuck we can because we just want them out now. Uh, so yeah, they started destroying their shit outside. Uh, two of the three water storage tanks on the roof of the main building that had been damaged during the initial ATF raid, and eventually the FBI cut all power and water to the compound, forcing those to survive on rainwater and stocked up, stockpiled military MRE rations. Criticism was later leveled by Schneider's attorney, Jack Zimmerman, at the tactic of using sleep and peace-disturbing sounds against the Branch Davidians. The point was this. They were trying to have sleep disturbance and they were trying to take someone that they viewed as unstable to start with and they were trying to drive him crazy and then they got mad because he does something that they think is irrational. Which, yeah, uh, it's a good point. Fair. You mean you already think this guy's crazy, you're just going to push him even farther past the point? Yeah, let's push him to the edge. What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, During the siege, several scholars who studied apocalyptism and religious groups attempted to persuade the FBI that the siege tactics being used by government agents would only reinforce the impression within the Branch Davidians that they were part of a biblical end-of-times confrontation that had cosmic significance. End-of-times. This would likely increase the chances of violent and deadly outcome. The religious scholars pointed out the beliefs of the groups may have appeared to be extreme, 
but to the Branch Davidians, the religious police were deeply meaningful and they were willing to die for them. Yeah. Koresh's discussions with the negotiating team became increasingly difficult. He proclaimed that he was the second coming of Christ and had been commanded by his father in heaven to remain in the compound. One week before the April 19th assault, FBI planners considered using snipers to kill David Koresh and possibly other key Branch Davidians. The FBI voiced concern that the Branch Davidians might commit mass suicide, as had happened in 1978 at Jim Jones's Jonestown complex. Koresh had reportedly denied any plans for mass suicide when confronted by negotiators during the standoff, and people leaving the compound had not seen any such preparation. Damn, dog. And now this is where we get to the end of it all. The, bitter, the final assault. The bitter end. Uh, <clears throat> newly appointed U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno approved recommendations by the FBI hostage rescue team to mount an assault after being told that the com- conditions were deteriorating and the children were being abused inside the compound. Reno made the, the FBI's case to President Clinton, recalling the April 19, 1985, the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord siege in Arkansas, which was... Damn, that's a name, dog. Which was ended without loss of life by a block blockade without a deadline. President Clinton suggested similar, similar tactics against the Branch Davidians. Reno countered that the FBI hostage rescue team was tired of waiting, that the standoff was costing a million dollars per week, that the Branch Davidians could not hold out any longer than the CSA, and that the chances of child sexual Abuse and mass suicide were imminent. You know Bill Clinton was complaining to Monica about Koresh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Underneath the table. He's probably, she's probably underneath the desk when he was having these meetings. Right. He's probably like, oh, I don't care. Just do whatever. <laughs> Get out. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh... Clinton later recounted, finally, I told her that if she thought it was the right thing to do, she could go ahead. And over the next several months, Reno's reason for approving the final tear gas attack varied from her initial claim that the FBI hostage rescue team had told her that Koresh was sexually abusing children and beating babies. The FBI later denied evidence of child abuse during the standoff to her claim that Linda Thompson's unorganized militia of the United States was on the way to Waco either to help Koresh or to attack him. And the assault took place on April 19, 1993. Because the branch of Vions were heavily armed, the FBI hostage rescue team's arms included 50 caliber rifles, armored combat engineering vehicles. The CEVs used explosives to punch holes in the walls of the building of the compound so they could pump in tear gas and try to force the Branch Davidians out without harming them. The stated plan called for increasing amounts of gas to be pumped in over two days to increase pressure. Officially, no armed assault was to be made. Loudspeakers were used to tell the Branch Davidians that there would be no armored assault and ask them not to fire on vehicles. According to the FBI hostage team, Agents had permitted to return any incoming fire, but no shots were fired by federal agents on April 19th. When several Branch Davidians opened the fire, opened fire, 
the FBI hostage rescue team's response was only to increase the amount of gas being used. More gas. The FBI hostage rescue team delivered 40 millimeter, 1.6 inches deep ferret brand CS gas rounds (laughs) via M79 grenade launchers very early in the morning. The FBI hostage rescue team fired two military 5.6 M651 CS gas rounds at the Branch Davidian construction site around mid-morning. The FBI uh, HRT began to run low on 40-millimeter ferret CS rounds and asked Texas Ranger Captain David Brines for tear gas rounds. The tear gas rounds procured from Company F in Waco turned out to be unusable, pyrotechnic, and were returned to Company F office afterward. Man, there's a lot of Fs in there. They send them fucked up shit. Uh, 40 millimeter munitions recovered by the Texas Rangers at the Waco include dozens of plastic feral, plastic ferret model SGA 400 liquid CS rounds, two metal M651E1 military pyrotechnic tear gas rounds, two metal Nico pyrotechnic sound and flash grenades, and parachute immunization, illumination flares. After more than six hours, no Branch Davidians had left the mask, sheltering instead in an underground concrete block out, concrete block room within the building or using gas masks. At around noon, three fires broke out simultaneously in different parts of the building and spread quickly. <laughs> Footage of the blaze was broadcast by live television crews. The government maintains the fires were deliberately started by the Branch Davidians. What do you think? What do you think? I don't think so. Think it got anything to do with all the gas they are blowing in there? I yeah, probably. you know, it's not like tear gas is flammable or anything. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. Think someone's just, like, lighting up a stove? I think... Or, like, lighting up a fire on fire? I think if they didn't... I'm not saying they planned to set the fire, but I think... Is that what you're saying? I think by all the shooting... I think maybe the ATF shot back and they hit some tear... Because tear gas is flammable. And I think somehow that fire got lit and, you know, mm. all the gas being in there kind of just set everything ablaze. Real quick, huh? Lit. What? What's that? He don't fucking know. Uh, Fuck, the government man. maintains the fires were deliberately started by the Branch Davidians. Some Branch Davidian survivors and other experts maintain that the fires were accidentally or deliberately started by the assault, possibly by types of pyrotechnic rounds used by the FBI. Only nine people left the building during the fire. The remaining branch of videos, including the children, were either burned alive by rubble, suffocated, or shot. Many were killed by smoke or carbon monoxide inhalation and other causes as fire engulfed the building. According to the FBI, Steve Steve Schneider, Koresh's top aide, Shot and killed Koresh, and then himself. Steve Schneider died from a shotgun wound to the mouth. Dave Koresh died from a shotgun wound to the forehead. Jesus. In all, 76 people died. A large concentration of bodies, weapons, and ammunition was found in the bunker storage room. The Texas Rangers arson investigator report assumes that many of the occupants were either denied escape from within or refused to leave until escape was not an option. It also mentions that the structural debris from the breaching operations 
on the west of the building could have blocked a possible escape route through the tunnel system. An independent investigation by two experts of the University of Maryland Department of Fire Protection Engineering concluded that the compound residents had sufficient time to escape the fire if they had so desired. Autopsies of the dead revealed that some women and children were found beneath a falling concrete wall of a storage room died of skull injuries. The U.S. Department of Justice reported indicated that only one body had traces of ben- benzene, one of the compounds of solvent, dispersed CS gas, but that the gas insertions had finished nearly one hour before the fire started and that it was enough time for solvents to dissipate from the bodies of the branch civilians that had inhaled the tear gas. Autopsy records also indicate that at least 20 branch civilians were shot, including Koresh, as well as five children under the age of 14. Three-year-old Dalen Gent was stabbed in the chest. The medical examiner who performed the autopsies believed that these deaths were mercy killings by the branch civilians trapped in the fire with no escape. The expert retained by the U.S. Office of Special Counsel concluded that many of the gunshot wounds support self-destruction either by overt suicide, consensual ex- execution, execution, suicide by proxy, or less likely forced execution. Man, man that's bro. all fucked up shit, they swallow, man. They swallow guns on uh, the way out. What the uh, fuck? Uh, what, what the fuck? Yee, what the hell? In a fucking flames of glory. Flames of glory. What the fuck are you doing down there? <laughs> Just repeating everything. Hey. Dude, a blaze of glory, bro. Fucking hell. Fucking hey, hey, dog. Cheetah pet over here. God damn. Afterwards, after the fire had all died down and everything, you know, happened, some branch civilians were... Convicted on weapons charges, firearms charges. Uh, Whoever's left, they gave him firearm charges? Well, they, they, a lot of them, they tried to get him for murder-related charges, but those didn't go through, so they convicted him on lesser charges, including aiding and abetting the voluntary manslaughter of federal agents. Uh, the convicted branch Davidians who received sentences of up to 40 years were... Kevin A. Whitecliff, convicted of a voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Jamie Castillo, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Oh, yeah. They're going to throw the book at these fucks now. Paul Gordon Fada, convicted of conspiracy to possess machine guns. The Fada got it, too? And Aiden and Baden, Aiden Branch Davidian leader David Koresh in possessing machine guns. Damn. Renos no. Lenny Averham, British national. Convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Way to go. Graham Leonard Craddock, Australian national. Convicted of possessing a grenade and using a firearm during a crime. They got you. Brad Eugene Branch. Convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. And convicted of being Eugene in the misdemeanor offense. Livingstone Fagan. British national, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Six out of ten for names. Ruth Riddle, Canadian national, convicted of using or carrying a weapon during a crime. No relation to Tom Riddle. <laughs> and then finally, Catherine Schroeder, 
sure. sentenced to three years after pleading guilty to a reduced charge of forcibly resisting arrest. Three years for a res- resist? Yep. Sucks to suck. <laughs> Sucks to suck or suckers. Go away outside, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, pretty crazy, man. Yeah, and don't then, fuck uh, with the ATF, man, or uh, FBI, or anybody. And then, uh, you know, also another real fun tidbit. Uh, what happened at Ruby Ridge and what happened at Waco is a big reason behind why Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing, because... Yeah, the story goes he was there, right? Yeah. He he questioned the ethics actions at Waco, or he questioned the government's actions at Waco, and... uh that's one of the reasons why he Oklahoma City bombing because he was pissed about what they did. So yeah, Crazy man. In the end, the timeline unfolds. In the end, man, just like uh, you know, David Koresh and fucking uh, Jim Jones, man, both known as these big godly type guys, and in the end, didn't even go out the same way as their people. David Crush, bullet to the head. Jim Jones, bullet to the head. Jeez. Yes. Play stupid games. You get stupid prizes. But the whole Waco siege and all that has also been a big battle cry behind the reason why a lot of these anti-military groups exist today is because of things like Waco. Waco's like one of their biggest... For like sure. There's, so there's a lot of like anti-government sentiment following around the... This uh, event, you know, yeah, because there's a lot of people that look at that, and you know they they're able to see, you know, the big how big of a fuck up it was on the government's part. A lot of mismanagement and stuff, and you know things that happen naturally in cases like this, big cases and shit. That's just yeah. Obviously, like we said near the beginning. No, I'm I'm not. I don't justify the actions that David Koresh did, but. It's, you know, I mean, you'd pretty much just be blind and not admit that the government fucked up as well in this this case, you know. It was definitely a big fuck-up on their part, so. But yeah, man, that's uh, that's the story of the Waco siege. God, this is part of our... Good job, yeah. One of our top longest episode. It was very long. <clears throat> I was trying to move it along as fast as possible, but I didn't want to miss too much a lot, information. Dude, a lot to cover. You could, we covered it all pretty much. Yeah, I don't want to. I didn't want to really skip over anything, really. Or do like because there's two. so much that needs to be said about it. Yeah, maybe we look into Ruby Ridge and how it ha- relates to. Uh... Well, Ruby Ridge, we could probably do on like a shoot the shit episode because it's a very small story. It's not very big. Uh, uh, uh. So we'll probably do it on a shoot the shit episode, probably. Yeah, man, that's fucking Waco, you know? I know uh, a couple of years ago I shared something on Facebook about this, and Fiden actually had no idea what Waco was. Really? Hey, when Fiden. I shared something on there, he fucking looked into it, and he said he was, it was crazy, so. Hey, Fiden, now you got your episode now. So let us know. If you've, if you've never heard of Waco before, you know, hit me up. Let me know what you think, man. Or if there's there's something else, you know. There's some other big story you want to hear us cover, you know, let us know. Not chop. Let me or Choop know. Yeah, that would be cool to, to get some, uh, you know. Don't let Chop know anything because he always waits till the last second to tell us something. Hey, whoa, whoa, homies. 
Yeah, some suggestions would be dope for us. For sure. Well, I mean, Fide made a suggestion, but he can fuck off. Because I'm, I'm not doing his suggestion. What was it? How dare you, dude? He wants me to fucking do a Jones... He wants me to do another Jonestown episode. Because the fucking anniversary's coming up. In November. Sean, you're like a method actor. Who, me? Like, you're, yeah, if we if we do Jonestown, you're going to have like a dark arc. Yeah, probably. Re- relive it. Relive it. On. <laughs> Shit. You go emo, reliving the events of Jonestown and how it related to your psyche. <sighs> it's all fucking pandemic's fault, man. <laughs> oh, damn, you think that's what it was, too? Dude, it's because we, we were in quarantine, man. I had nothing to do, so I was like, fuck, I'm moving on to Jonestown it, rabbit hole. It was hole like again. you were just stuck in the house. With yeah. <laughs> Then I even started thinking, like, oh, maybe Jim Jones survived the fucking massacre. Then you'd hear, like, a scrape underneath the... Yeah, dude, I was sleeping one time. I had a fucking nightmare one time of him trying to recruit me to his fucking cult. Nice. Then I woke up and I heard something. I couldn't fall asleep. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. I'm never doing that again. It's probably why I don't listen to podcasts anymore. I fucked it up for myself. Is that the night that you just called me in the middle of the night on Facebook Messenger? No, I didn't, did I? Yeah. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Did I really? Yeah, and you left a message and you didn't realize you were leaving it. It was just like little whimpers. <laughs> Shut up. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, the fuck I didn't. Fuck you guys. He heard it, dude. You don't hear shit. Yeah, it was just like little whimpers in the night. <laughs> Shut up. That didn't happen. <laughs> we do got buttholes. Come on, again, brah. All right, man. All right. All right, man. So, uh, who's next week? You? Yeah, me. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're going to do some fucking dumb shit, like fucking talk about how butter's made or some shit like that. Dude, butter is made from uh, milk and whip. You always get the what? weirdest fucking episodes. What the fucking dip shit you are, dude. You always got the weirdest fucking episodes. He said how butter's made. What the fuck? All right, man. You going to tell us what the episode is or let me guess? You don't know. I know. You're going to wait to... Dude, give him, leave him alone, He's going to go and watch a Netflix special. I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to do this now. I know what I want to do. I'm not going to say it. Fucking say it. Just say it. The Great Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I like, a... I like how butter's made better. <laughs> You're not doing oh, yourself I'm any just, favors. I'm just kidding. The Great Lakes? Yeah. There's a lot of shit goes on. There's a lot on. of shit going on in the Great Lakes. Like what? The lakes? No. I'm going to see you guys' information. And I can tell what states are bordered to the lakes. But I'm not saying much. That's, I'm just with you next week. Jesus Christ. David Crush, give me the strength. All right. Any other news? All right. No, we're going to get out of here. Uh, as always, follow us on all the socials. And uh, see you, come back next week. For if you want to know how butter's made, <laughs> not butter made, not butter made. <laughs> no, Great Lakes, man. I'm just fucking around. Be Jeez, calm down over there. Don't get all upset. It'll be good and fun, dude. And we'll. That's the Great Lakes is actually a, a like a history. Yeah, we can make cookies and shape them. The, the, the shape them, the, you know. Yeah, dude. We'll make a cake in your face, but instead of eating it, we'll punch it. How about we make a cake of me and fucking chop jump your bitch ass? 
<laughs> Go ahead, dude. The fans will get my back. They love me. I'm their favorite. Nah. Yeah. I'm the favorite, dude. Everyone knows it. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. All right. Let's get out of here. I'm starving. All right. See it. All right, Hollis.